0: privilege both this morning and this evening uh, to be welcoming Andy Frost uh, to be with us today and uh, I was I was wondering how to introduce him there's quite a few things I can say not to embarrass him but uh, there really many many great things uh, church planting church leadership pastoral ministry uh, the heart and the ministry of an evangelist but particularly to resource the church in sharing the good news of Jesus and leading an organization to that end, Share Jesus International. And he's been with us as a church on a few times over the years and we've really been blessed by his insight, his heart for the church and his heart for the lost and what he can bring from the word of God to inspire us as we seek Jesus and seek Jesus and his presence in our world. So I wonder would you welcome Andy as he comes up to share the word of God with us. And you know I've got you to sit down, but would you just stand for one second longer? I'm sure you can do this. And should we reach out our hands and we we'll just ask a blessing upon Andy? You travelled up to be with us today, and we want a real Pentecost blessing for Andy as well as for us today. Amen. So just pray your prayers for him, shall we? Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you you invite us and you enable us to be people of your Word and of your Spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you that Andy has come here with with that heart and with that in mind, that God, he would open the word to us, and not just as a text, but as the living, beating heart of God for us and for your world. So God, we ask that your spirit would come upon him, empower him, Lord Jesus Christ. Cause his words, Lord God, to be your words, Lord Jesus, and to speak so deeply into our hearts that each and every one of us might be changed by encountering you here today. In your precious name we pray. Hallelujah and amen. amen. You. amen. amen. Yeah. Well,
1: church, you want... Is that right now? Happy birthday, church. Happy birthday. Pentecost Sunday. <laughs> Whoa. So my name's Andy Frost and yeah, I'm from a small village down south called London. You might have heard of it. And i run a charity called Share Jesus. People say, what do you do? We share Jesus. It's a very clever name. And three quick things. There's a copy here of the book called Sharing Jesus. We put together a couple of years ago. I'd love to give you a free copy of that on the way out to help you work out how you put your faith back into words and can speak about the gospel with your friends. Second of all, a little campaign called Prompt. I believe that God is at work all around us, but that often we just don't realize it. These prompt cards are a question. The idea is you ask God a question and see how you can respond to that question in action during the week. And you can follow on social media and get a new question every week and look at how you can be living more missionally. And third of all, I'm going to share a bit this evening about my new book called Long Story Short. Really, I believe that each of our lives tells a story. But the question is, what kind of a story is your life telling? this evening I'm going to be unpacking this and if you've got friends who are not part of the church yet then do invite them along as I look at the stories we're given by culture then ultimately the story that God gives us to live I've got a friend called Des I met him at university he was one of those guys who is super clever super intelligent but lacks all common sense anybody got similar friends? and one day he came home from university and he was hungry he went into our house I was living with him at the time And he got the chip pan out, and he put it on to make some chips. When the phone went, it was his friend saying, Des, should we go and buy some chips from the chip shop? Des thought, well, I am hungry. That's a great idea. So he left the chip pan bubbling away, left the house to go and buy some chips from the chip shop. He came home, got to the front door. There's a funny burning smell. He opened the front door, walked down the corridor, into the kitchen and discovered that this chip pan was now on fire. He didn't know what to do. So he left the kitchen, walked down the corridor, went outside and thought, right, what should I do? <laughs> Put the fire out. Went back through the front door, down the corridor, into the kitchen and you saw the fire now grown a little bit and there was smoke everywhere. And he found the fire blanket, but he wasn't quite sure how to use it. So he left the kitchen, went down the corridor, went outside and read the instructions. Open fire blanket, throw over fire, job done. Back through the front door, down the corridor, back into the kitchen. And by now, this chip pan was not just on fire, the entire kitchen was on fire. He unrolled this blanket, looking around at the flames and thought, this isn't going to be big enough. And our house burnt down. And I think, Des... Why hadn't you read the instructions on how to put out a fire earlier? Why hadn't you thought about that earlier? It's such basic, simple things. Why hadn't you done it? And here's the thing. I believe that in Scripture, in the Bible, we have more than just rules and regulations for how we live our lives. We ultimately have the story which reveals who God is and what it really means to live in relationship with him. And before people reach the end of their lives, I hope they'll read this book and discover who God is what it means to live for him. We're going to look at this big narrative we have in scripture this morning. What's really important, the next slide down is this. Where a story begins is important and where a story ends is important. Scripture gives us where the story begins and it also gives us the picture of where the story ends it gives us the bookends for how we live our lives it begins on the next slide down in Genesis chapter 1 I have this incredible picture of this God who is good who is relational, who is creative, who creates the world and it says time and time again it is good, it is good, it is good And what's interesting, he doesn't make a static creation, but he makes a creation laden with potential. He says to the vegetation, they're given seeds to multiply. To the birds and the fish, he's told, he tells them to go and multiply. To the land animals, the whole thing is not static, but alive, active, pregnant with expectation, laden with potential. And then we have this picture of God creating humankind the pinnacle of creation on the next slide down God blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it rule over it the idea is to serve and preserve and to work with God's plans the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground and here's the thing The story begins with a good picture, a beautiful creation, and we are invited to partner with God. This is where the story ends. And in Revelation 21, we get this picture of how the story ends. This story that begins in a garden ultimately finishes in a city. Revelation 21 says this, and he carried me away, this is John speaking, in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall and 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. The thing is that in the, in the Bible, in Scripture, we have this idea there is a story that what begins in a garden ends in a city. There was always going to be this journey. God set things up with so much potential. The idea is it would eventually get to a city. And if sin had never entered the picture, there would still have been a story there, just a much shorter, smaller story. But As we know, sin does enter the picture. I want to share one kind of random story to start off with this morning. We find it in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. I've got your Bible here. So you want to turn to it? it be on the screen if not. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. Can't say for a minute, how good would that be? Anyone here been kind of traveling a little bit? And I spent a year working with the Elam Church in France with a, a surf church plant over there. And my French was pretty terrible did the whole thing where you try and speak really slowly and then you try and put on a French accent like wee wee, wee and you hope they'll understand, but they never quite understand. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. So as a nomadic people, they found this nice flat space, this fertile land, this beautiful valley between the Tigris and the Euphrates and they thought, this is the place we're going to settle. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. It's basically like an ancient version of the great British Bake Off, but making bricks rather than making uh, yeah, cakes. They used brick instead of stone and tar from water. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered Over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth. And they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. It is quite a random story, isn't it? Maybe not. I think it's quite a random story. And what's interesting is that from the very beginning, that idea of the garden in Genesis 1, the whole idea is that eventually there would be a city. And here is a city, but there's something wrong with this city. This is not the way God intended things to be. In fact, in verse 4, we get this hint as to what is wrong. That words, those words in verse 4, come, let us make bricks. Those words, come, let us make. Those words we also know from Genesis. As God says, come, let us make man in our image. The author here is suggesting that the people are almost saying we can be like God. We can be the centre of the story. We can be the focus of the story. We can usurp God, putting ourselves at the very centre of everything. And this this verse 4 unpacks three issues. and I think three questions for us today as to how we live out our faith as part of God's great story. The first issue is this one here. With a tower that reaches to the heavens. They'd had this cultural revolution, the brick. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried making things with stones before. Building with stones is very difficult, but suddenly bricks, they help you to build really simply and you can make things quite nicely. And there's nothing wrong with building things. Anybody here still passionate about kind of playing with bricks? Okay. Well, two of us, yeah. My kids, um, when they were very young, uh, they used to always ask to build towers. You know, you kind of help them build towers about three years old, and you kind of build the tower for them, and then they'd love it. And then you'd be thinking, oh, it's getting quite high now. And you turn your back, and you'd hear the clattering down as your kids knocked. You're like, what have you done? I'm trying to build a high tower. Let me try again. And again, your kids would keep knocking it down. So much so that when your kids go to bed, you get the bricks out yourself and think, now I can build a really high tower. There's something innate, I think, about wanting to build high stuff. But here's the thing. They wanted to build a tower that reached to the heavens. Now, did they actually think they were going to build a tower to the heavens? Were they that kind of simple? Can you imagine kind of getting to the stratosphere and suddenly thinking, oh, it's quite hard to breathe right now, isn't it, really? <laughs> I don't think it was. I think if you're going to build a really high tower to the heavens and you really think that, you start on a mountain rather than starting in a valley. But it's about what the tower symbolised for these people. They thought they could be like God. They no longer wanted to to be limited by God. They wanted to grasp something that did not belong to them. Historians suggest that from this tower they would gaze out to the night sky and look at the stars. And actually the whole zodiac idea comes from this place in Babel all those years ago. The tower had become their vision. The tower had replaced God as their vision and had become their distraction. What is your vision? Is it your own personal project your own personal plans, your own personal ideas, or is it really the kingdom of God? In society, perhaps, it's no longer about having the amazing brick, da da but actually, it's about technology. Perhaps a technological revolution has, has changed some of our mindset and how we live out our lives. Actually, we believe now in the power of medicine. And we have Netflix to relax to in the evening. And we have smartphones that so will never get lost again. And perhaps in some way we have lost our reliance upon God. My first question for you this morning is this one here Is my life story about my vision or God's vision? If you were to reflect on the last few days, have you been trying to build your own thing? have you really been working out how you can serve the vision of God? I've got a friend called John and he was running a big kind of surf outreach competition. And uh, he spent a lot of time organising this. He'd organised the caterers, he'd organised uh, the surfers to come along. He'd organised a whole bunch of things. It's going to be a big thing on the, on the beach, a big mission taking place. And yet the week before the surf competition was about to take place, he began to look at the, uh, the forecast for the waves. He discovered it was going to be absolutely flat now to host a surf competition you need waves otherwise doesn't really work he began to get really angry with God saying God what are you doing I'm organizing this massive surf comp and there's going to be no waves you've got to create waves he became really angry with God and then God spoke to him saying this you've become so focused on this surf competition that you've actually forgotten to focus on me sometimes even the things we're trying to do ministry-wise can actually take our attention from looking at God. The things we're building can take away our attention from Jesus. God invites us to be involved in his story, but ultimately our vision has to be God and what God is doing. The next part of that verse, they're building this huge tower so that we may make a name for ourselves. I um, I like doing sports. Um, I did uh, my first triathlon a few years ago. Have here done a, done a triathlon? Yeah? Okay. Uh, <laughs> apparently not, not in the wheel. Okay. Um, so um, and I, I, when you first do your first one, you have to kind of guess how fast you're going to be. And the first thing you do is to swim. So you have to kind of guess how quickly I could swim uh, w- one kilometre. So I guessed my time and I put it down as quite slow to be conservative. Didn't want to get it kind of wrong. And we went down to the pool that day. And they have one pool with all the lanes lined off, so you kind of swim in each lane one at a time. And what happens is you get in a queue and they kind of organise you according to your estimate of time. And so you put somebody in front of you and somebody behind you. The person in front gets in the water and they say, go. And they count down 10 seconds and then I got in the water. And they count, and then off I go. And they count down 10 seconds and the person behind me takes off. It was all going very well. But this lady in front of me takes off, counts 10, I'm behind her, in the lane, and within seconds, I've caught up this lady in front. Now, the etiquette in triathlons is to tap the person on front on the toes so that when they get to the end, they stop and you overtake them. But this lady, though I kept tapping on the toes, quite a bizarre thing to do, didn't stop. She kept swimming. So I'm swimming behind her going, hang on a second, I'm faster than you. Tap, 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 trying to overtake her. And again, she wouldn't stop. She kept going down the next length. I thought, hang on a second. I've got to work out a cunning plan here. So here's my plan. I would undertake her. I would push her from the side, swim underneath, looking where she was, and come up just in front of her like a submarine. It's going to be a spectacular kind of <laughs> triathlete mover. So I did this, and I was swimming underneath. But as I was swimming underneath, she began to pick up pace. So I'm going as fast as I can underneath. Looking up, she's going faster and faster and faster. I eventually come to the surface, but in doing so, take in a massive gulp of water and begin to start drowning during a triathlon as she overtakes me. One of those really embarrassing moments. But I think I've been that, in that pool thinking, I am better than you. A real sense of pride. Why are you in front of me? You should be behind me. And the second thing about this, this, this verse is there's a sense of pride. It was so that they could make a name for themselves. It's not wrong with wanting to be a good teacher or to make a name for yourself as a good, fair business person or as a good parent. But here's the danger, is that we begin to focus more upon our name in light's rather than God's name in lights. Perhaps we're so bothered about our reputation, we're so proud that we stop talking about Jesus. One of the key guys building this city and building this tower was Nimrod. If you look in your Bibles, Genesis 10 verses 8 to 12, you discover what was going on. It was just after the flood And Noah had got very drunk and his son Ham um, had seen him naked and he'd been cursed. But Ham had a son called Cush and Cush had a son called Nimrod. And Nimrod becomes one of these leaders of these kingdoms. Interestingly, first of all, he had a kingdom which was centred around Babylon. This is the first time in scripture we hear the phrase kingdom. Genesis 10 verses 8 to 12. And kingdoms... Need to have a king. And throughout Scripture we understand this idea that there was a need for a king and God was meant to be the people's king, but they wanted an earthly king. And even now in this passage, this sense that actually Nimrod wanted to have power and authority to make a name for himself. We also read in those verses that he was a mighty warrior. And that same word can be translated as a violent oppressor. He was building cities on oppression. And the danger is that sometimes we can do the same. We can be so proud about ourselves, we want to make a name for ourselves rather than making a name for God. That we can push other people down to make ourselves look better. But this is not the way of the kingdom of God. Just think back in the week that's been. Whose name have you been more bothered about? your name or the name of God? There are some people in my life who I've met um, I was with a guy this week called Les Isaacs who runs street pastors, phenomenal guy and what I love about him is that he's always trying to take his name off things that he doesn't want any glory he's always trying to try and host things rather than him because actually he wants others to kind of be it forward rather than himself this sense that it's not about making his name great but it's about seeing what God wants to do as the kingdom How is it we can actually push and encourage other people into things? Give other people the opportunities. The second question is this. Is my life story about my name or about God's name? The third part of this verse continues. With otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. In Genesis 9 verse 1. Of the flood. Again, Noah and his family are commissioned to, to, to go and to fill all the earth. And yet, when they come to this place, this, this place they call Babel, this plain, this nice fertile land, they decide to build a city rather than keep spreading out. And here's why. And there's something about cities that give a sense of security and safety when you have other humans living around you, when you can build walls to protect you, when you can have land that you farm and rely upon, suddenly you can feel a little bit safer. Instead, they were called to go and fill the earth, to move on. But I guess when you're trying to fill the earth, moving on to different places, then you can find yourself all alone with no one to rely upon except God. And perhaps... These people were so concerned about living a comfortable life that they failed to live out the thing that God had called them to do. Jesus does not invite us to live comfortable lives. He invites us to see his kingdom come and his will being done. As I was praying this morning, I was thinking, perhaps there are some of us here this morning who have become so settled in our career or in our witness, or in our found situation that actually we are so comfortable we've stopped taking risks for the kingdom of God. One of my favorite stories to tell was a few years ago. Uh, I was uh, walking home one night, well, one night, quite late at night, and there was a local guy who's an alcoholic, and um, he thinks I'm a Catholic priest. And I always say to him, no, no, I'm not a Catholic priest. I'm just, just a Christian. i said, oh, Catholic priest. No, no, I am just a Christian. And one night I was walking back. And it was quite dark. It was late. And uh, I kind of saw him at the corner of my eye across the road. And I thought, oh, no. So I kind of kept head down, walking forwards. And I heard, heard him shout, hey, it's the Catholic priest. I'm like, no, no, I'm still not a Catholic priest. I'm just a Christian, but OK. And he ran across the road and said, look, you must come and help out. I'm like, help out what? I'm trying to get home right now. He's like, well. Well, these two guys are about to have a fight. Come and tell them what Jesus says about fighting. I'm like, no, 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 thank you. Thanks for the offer. I'm off home. But he grabs me, he drags me over towards this fight. And these are two guys taking their t shirts off, about to have this massive punch up. And he pushes me between the two of them. He says, Listen to this Catholic priest. And he tells you about what Jesus says about fighting. I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. So I tried to so, say, you know, Jesus says, Love your enemy. And they said, please, sir, go away, using very different language. And so I'm like, okay, I've tried. It hasn't worked out. I began to back away. And this guy goes, no, no, try again, try again, try again. I'm like, no. I said, look, I'm just going to pray right now. Father God, bring your peace to the situation right now in the name of Jesus. And to my astonishment, the peace of God came. These two guys put on their T-shirts and walked off in different ways directions and here's the thing sometimes I think we are so busy trying to live comfortable safe easy lives that we miss out on being a part of what God is doing the third question is this one here is my life story about my comfort or God's plan Where is it that God is calling you to step up at this time? What is the couch he's asking you to leave behind? To step into the calling and the purpose he has for your life. In this story, it gets to verse 5 and we see what God does. It says, the Lord came down. This is really Hebrew sarcasm at its best. The God of the universe and this tower that reaches for the heavens, he has to come down because it's so tiny. He comes down to have a look at it, kind of thinking, oh, wow, what a big tower you guys have made. Aren't you clever? And in verse 6, we see the Godhead saying, if with one language all this is possible, then nothing will be impossible for them. Does this mean that God is scared? No. No. I think he's seen how quickly after the flood they had already rejected God and how evil they had already become. And he's not scared for himself, but he's scared for humanity. He's caring for his people. And in verse 7 to 9, we see how he comes down and he confuses the language. The place called Babel, the word Babel means confusion. He mixes up his languages and he scatters them. This moment, is actually a moment of God's grace. Rather than judging and demolishing something of a flood, instead he mixes up their language in the hope they'll turn back to him. Is God the centre of your life story this morning? Is it about your vision or about God's vision? Is it about your name or is it about God's name? Is it about your comfort or is it about obedience to God? Ultimately, the Christian faith isn't about building towers to God. It's all about God coming and meeting with his people. And time and time again in the Old Testament, we had these beautiful moments of, of Moses in the burning bush as he encounters God, I when he calls prophets to speak out his heart, when he anoints kings and leads, when he does miraculous things. But ultimately we have it in the message of Jesus that as Jesus, Emmanuel, comes to earth, God with us, we see that God wants to be with us. not about us trying to get to him through works, but about his grace, him meeting with us. But today we celebrate one of the most powerful stories Of God being with his people. We celebrate the story in Acts chapter 2. The story of Pentecost. 50 days earlier. They had seen Jesus resurrected. It had blown their mind. They were locked away in a closed room. And yet he comes through and he meets with them. And he shows them who he is. And these incredible stories over the next 40 days. As he, he encounters and meets with his disciples. And then they are told to wait they wait and they pray they wait and they pray they wait and they pray first hours then a couple of days then a week and then on the 10th day on the day of Pentecost we have this story when the day of Pentecost came they were all is over his spirit is available for all of us to receive and what we saw what happened in Acts 2 is that as the spirit of God came he equipped the early church with a vision not their own vision but God's vision to make disciples of all nations we see that it wasn't about making a name for themselves but they said even in Acts chapter 3 Money and silver I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. Healing in the name of Jesus. It was about the name of Jesus rather than about their names. And thirdly, we see how they lived an uncomfortable life. They were willing to become martyrs for the gospel because they had experienced God's love and God's grace. Ultimately, the story we have in Scripture ends with that beautiful picture in Revelation 21. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. This beautiful, glorious city. Babel was made with stinking tar and smelly kind of mud bricks and yet we have this beautiful city in Revelation 21. We are called not to build things out of muddy bricks that are smelly, but we're called to be involved in building God's kingdom. And we are empowered by his Holy Spirit. But the challenge today is this. Will we say, not my vision, God, but I want your vision for my life. Will we say, it's not about making me famous, but making you famous for who you really are. And will we say, I will choose not to do what is always comfortable, but to follow you where you call me to go. Because when that happens, we begin to see God do the most incredible, wonderful things. As we find a story in God's great unfolding story, as we find our role, as we begin to pray your kingdom come and see his kingdom come and his will being done. Just close your eyes right now for a second. Holy Spirit, again, we just invite you right now. We invite you right now, Holy Spirit, come. And Father, for some of us here, we just say we're sorry for holding our own vision of our lives, but we choose this morning to have your vision for our lives. And Father, we say we're sorry for you. we want to make our own name great. But this morning we choose we want to make your name great. And Father God, we thank you again for your grace and your mercy and your love that was ultimately shown in Jesus, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. And as he was willing to be so uncomfortable, we also let go of our own comforts. And say, God, may we be obedient to your call.